Good morning, church. Thanks for making us a part of your Sunday morning. If you're visiting with us, my name is Jeremy, and I'm the senior minister here at South Union, and you are here for week four of our series called At the Movies, where church and movies meet. Uh, and this week, we are looking at one of my top five favorite movies of all time uh, called Groundhog's Day, uh, starring one of my childhood heroes, and maybe probably shouldn't be one of my childhood heroes, Bill Murray. Uh, who plays Phil Connors, a weatherman in Pennsylvania uh, that wakes up every day at 6 a.m. to I Got You, Babe, and finds out that the same day is happening over and over and over and over again. No matter what he does, he wakes up every day on February 2nd, Groundhog Day. It is estimated that in this movie, he wakes up and wakes up and wakes up on the same day so many times that someone sat down and counted the time he must have spent in Groundhog's Day, and it is estimated that he spent around 33 years of life waking up every day to Groundhog's Day over and over and over again. And in the movie, Groundhog Day, we get to watch him go through the process of coming to terms with his fate. He wakes up in absolute denial and then tries to uh, figure out a way out of it. And then once he realizes he can't get his way out of it, he has to problem solve and even comes to the conclusion he must be some sort of God if this is happening to him. And he realizes everything is kind of on a loop and he can predict the future or what appears to be the future to some people. And he even decides to even kidnap Punxsutawney Phil because he figures if he can eliminate Punxsutawney Phil, maybe that will be his way out of it. But we watch him go through the process of coming to terms with his fate of repeating Groundhog Day over and over and over again. Which leads me to my question that I would like for you to think about this morning as we start off with. If you could go back and relive one day again, just one time, you could wake up and just relive one day, think about what day would that be that you would want to go back and relive? Now, obviously, husbands in the room, it would be, you would obviously pick your wedding day. You don't even need to say that. We know that that would obviously be the day that you would go and repick. Husbands, that was your chance to say amen and get some points on the board, but you missed it, and that's okay. And you can't go back and relive that moment, but that's fine. But what day would you pick to go and relive just one time, not for... 33 years or over and over again, but just one day, what, what day would you pick? Would it be a birthday, an anniversary, maybe the first day you met someone for the first time? Would, what, what would that be if you had to pick a day to relive? And maybe similarly, a question for you to consider this morning, if you could go back and have a chance to undo or maybe redo a relationship, 
or an encounter with a person or a friendship, what friendship or relationship would you pick to have that happen? If you could go back and undo or redo a relationship that you have or an encounter with a person or the start of or the end of a relationship with someone, what person or what would that be or what would that look like? And then finally, maybe if, if we're going down this line of thinking, if you could go back and you could stop yourself from doing something that has become a challenge for you in your life, what would it be? What would you go back and do to, to stop or undo or redo or modify if you could go back and stop yourself from doing that one thing? Because here's what I would like to maybe challenge and encourage you with this morning as we look at the movie Groundhog's Day and we look in the scripture at a passage uh, of the life of a person. It's this, is that sometimes our past is not as past as what we'd like. Sometimes our past is not as past as what we'd like. That the things that we've done and we've experienced and we've seen and the choices that we've made that are, are long behind us maybe are not as far behind us as what we would like. Maybe some of you can very much relate to our main character, Phil Connors, of what it feels like to wake up every day and feel like you're in the same day every day. But also, on the same token... I would like to encourage you this morning to maybe challenge with the idea that maybe the future isn't as future as we think it is. Maybe the thing that we're hoping for and what we're longing for and what we expect to come eventually to be in our way or to, to come our way or to happen maybe isn't as far off or as future as what we had hoped for or what we're thinking it's going to be because sometimes it feels like the future is never going to get here and Maybe this morning you just need to consider that the future maybe isn't as future as what you might think that it is. And this morning I want to take a look as we talk about faith and film and we talk about Phil Connors and Groundhog Day. And I want to look in the, the passage of scripture as we talk about a person who lives out a past and a future and the decisions made along the way. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Acts chapter 9 and we'll start in verse 1. So if you have your Bibles turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, there's probably one near, it's like a chair in front of you or around you. Or if you have your digital Bible, you can thumb open to that. If you don't have a study Bible or you don't have a Bible that you can read and understand, we have ones that we would love just to give you free of charge. So you can have one that you can read uh, and understand as well. You can take home and can make yours. Or maybe you can just peek off of your neighbor. Or if you're watching online at home, thanks for joining us. And being a part of our live stream for At The Movies, uh, hopefully you're not driving while you're also watching this service because that would be dangerous. So if you are, pull over because uh, the future uh, is worth it to not uh, watch the service and drive. So uh, let's start in Acts chapter 9. Some of you might have read this passage before, but if you have, let's maybe not make a Groundhog's Day mistake and just repeat the same mistake by thinking we know the story because we've read it before. So Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says this, Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So he went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but in my version, in the translation I have in scriptures, the passage, the version that says the way, 
way is capitalized, meaning that is a person, which is Jesus. So during this time, they weren't called Christians. It wasn't called Christianity. But during this time, people who followed Jesus were followers of the way, is how they were noted in the books of history and during that culture. When you followed Jesus, you were a follower of the way. And so it says that he wanted to find men or women who belonged to the way so he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. What a ray of sunshine, right? So Saul is walking around, and he's, he's a pretty well-known guy for being a follower of God, but he is really, really focused on people who are following Jesus because he thinks that they are an absolute abomination. He thinks that they are detestable. He thinks that they are a disgrace to the way that they are supposed to follow God. And he is sold out to the cause of finding the people and throwing them in prison because they are messing with the system of religion that he has grown up in. And he's going to all these synagogues and saying like, hey, if sign this letter that allows me to throw people in prison if we find out that they're followers of the way. And when this starts to happen, the Jewish people that are followers of Jesus, they start to spread out. They start to leave Jerusalem. And so that's why he has to go and find them in other places because it's no longer safe for them to be in Jerusalem. So they spread to other parts of the countryside and other parts of the world. So Paul or Saul goes out to find them because he wants to, he wants to exact revenge and to throw them in prison. So let's pick up in verse 3. He says this, So as he traveled, and as he was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now we just read that in a very, a very uh, domesticated tone, right? But imagine in all fullness this scene He's walking, and a blinding light bursts onto the scene, so much that he's kneeling down because of how bright it is and how powerful it is. And to try to get your attention when you're, all your other senses are distracted, this voice commands to him and calls him by name and says, Why? Saul, Saul, why? Why are you persecuting me? And verse 5 says this, Who are you, Lord? Saul said, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. The one you were persecuting, he replied, which is kind of a twist because up until now, Paul has been persecuting the people who followed Jesus. And what Jesus says is, you're not persecuting the people, you're actually persecuting me, which is kind of an interesting twist. I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting, he replied, but get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless as you probably would be speechless if you were just, let's say you are just walking down uh, around in the Bloomington Mall and the friend you were walking with all of a sudden just falls to his knees and says he's hearing voices. You would also be standing there speechless as well, probably if you experienced someone doing that. So the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing sound but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground and threw his eyes and they were open, but he couldn't see anything. So they took him by hand, and they led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days, and he did not eat or drink. And what I find interesting about this little section, when, when we get this story of Saul interacting with Jesus, 
is that the questions that get asked both of Saul and of Jesus is that Jesus asks Saul, why are you persecuting me? And what I find what I find fascinating is not the persecuting part, but I find it interesting that Jesus asked him, why are you persecuting me? He, he wants to know, and he's asking, why are you persecuting me? And, and when I've read this passage before, and as I was studying for what we we're going to talk about, I think I've only ever focused on the persecuting me part of this passage. And never the intention of the why are you persecuting me. Because Saul thinks he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. In his mind, he's doing what he thinks is right and what he's supposed to be doing. And really what Jesus is asking him is why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you doing what you're doing, Saul? And what a critical question for each of us sitting in this building or watching online right now in the year 2023 to ask ourselves, why are we doing what we're doing? So let me ask you, why are you doing what you're doing? That's a pretty vague question, right? But let me ask you, why are you sitting in this room when you could be doing anything else? Why are you, as parents, why are you parenting the way that you're parenting? Why are you living your life the way that you're living your life? Why are you following Jesus the way that you're following Jesus? Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it because someone told you to do it? Someone convinced you to do it? You're just doing what you saw someone else do because you believe in what you're doing. You're convinced that it's the only way to do it. You figure it out through trial and error that you're doing things that you should be doing. Why is it that you're doing what you're doing? And listen, as we talk about church and movies and how they meet together, and we talk about film and faith, and why we're we even talking about at the movies, when we talk about Groundhog Day, we see a character in Phil Connors, who tries to find answers for the thing that happens to him. And when he tries to find those answers, ultimately what it turns to is someone who just decides he's going to live his life to please himself, that he's going to try to find love or at least some feeling of contentment and feeling of belonging and like someone wants him and to be desired. And ultimately what he's really trying to do is for he's searching for some kind of meaning and purpose in his life. Harold Ramis, the director of this movie, said that after he released this movie, the number of people who were of what he would say in the faith community that reached out to him and said, what are you trying to do with this movie? Are you trying to, are you trying to get people to think about spiritual concepts? Because when we watch this movie, all we see is a person who's trying to find his purpose, his meaning, and his value in his life. Because he's trying to figure out why he's doing what he's doing. And he does a whole bunch of things. 
And we've come to the point in this story of Saul in Scripture in Acts chapter 9 that we also find a person who's at a crossroads and trying to figure out why he's doing what he's doing because he fully believes in what he's doing and why he's doing it. And we get to this point here in Scripture where we're going to have a clash as to, well, maybe there needs to be a change. Let's pick it up. In verse 10 it says this, There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord. Just pause for a second. How it, sometimes I read scripture, I'm like, did that happen often enough that he was just like, oh yeah, right here. He's just sitting in his living room, and it's like, Ananias. And he's like, oh yeah, hey, right here. Sorry, I was just uh, over here, and I'm right here. Uh, just a very casual response. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. He replied, it's just so funny to me. Like, we just read it from a, such a weird perspective. He's like, here I am, Lord. Just very casual to me. Verse 11, get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Listen, I think all of us might be able to relate to Ananias in this next passage of scripture, if you've ever prayed and tried to have a conversation with God about not doing something. Verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, <laughs> and how he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. I love how he gives them an update. Yeah, that guy... Uh, I don't know if you've heard, but he's actually legally allowed to throw people in prison. I, I just, I've heard that about him. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go. This man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias went. He entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road that you were traveling on, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And at once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time, and immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue. He is the Son of God. We have this complete flip of persecuting Christians, throwing them in jail, to an encounter with Jesus, to being one proclaiming the name of Jesus. See, it is in this moment that Saul gets a perspective change, and literally gets a change of how he sees things, and he learns the truth about Jesus. And listen, transformation happens when we know and we see and we recognize the truth in situations. When we know and we see the truth. And listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus, in the same passage as he's also referred to as the way and the life, is also referred to as, fill in the blank, anybody? The truth. See, transformation happens when we know the truth. And Saul had a way of living that was opposed to the way, but he soon realized that following the way was the only way. Let me say it again. Saul had a way of living that was opposed to the way, but then he realized that following the way was the only way. 
Because when he discovered the truth and figured out what was really going on, he knew there's only one way to go. And that was to follow Jesus. And that why he was doing what he was doing was no longer good enough. And he needed to change that because of who Jesus was. Our main character, Phil, from Groundhog's Day, has spent most of the movie in years reliving the same day, believing that it's been all about him. He's been passionately doing the things that he's been doing. He's been seeing things from one way only, and he's been doing them the exact same way because he's convinced that's the only way to do things. And he has an encounter with a character that he has seen multiple times over and over again in the movie that changes everything changes everything for him and changes the direction of this film. And so I want to show you what that looks like. He has been seeing things all wrong, and when he does that, he gets new life given to him. And his whole, whole perspective changes when he realizes the why he's been doing things has to change. That why he's been doing things has been because he's been living to serve and to really go only after the things that he wants and to seek only things that he thinks are best for him. And when he turns his eyes onto other people, that his life becomes different and he finds meaning that he's been looking for the entire time. Because when he realizes he's been seeing things all wrong, he gets new life. And so my question that I would have for you to consider this morning is this, is there something in your life that needs done in a different way? Is there something in your life that needs done a different way? That maybe needs a re-looking at, a new perspective on things, a question, a challenge. What needs done differently? You see, there are things that we go through every single day to where it just feels like we are literally living in Groundhog's Day because it's over and over and over again. And we just get so used to doing things over and over and over again, they just become our normal. And my question is, is there something in your life that needs done in a different way? Or maybe a revisit as to why you're doing the things that you're doing. And I don't know what that is. there a conversation that needs to be had with a spouse someone in your family because you've just settled on something that you're okay with being the new norm but you actually you're not okay with is there a part of your faith that you've walked away from and you've just been settling that it's okay with but you know it needs to change is there something for you to reconsider to relook at this morning Groundhog's Day probably 33 years worth of times um, and as I, was, as I was watching it and trying to write this lesson something hit me with the scene when he goes into the hospital and she says some people just, some people just pass away it's just their time and he says not today and it's just a throwaway phrase to us but to him as a character not today means that's his reality when he looks and he says, not today, he's not going to do that. 
it means he's going to do everything that he can to on the day he's reliving all the time, today is not going to be the day that he's going to pass away. Because I'm going to do everything that I can. Can I just challenge you that this morning as we come to, to our response time that you would have a not today attitude with whatever it is that needs re-looked at in your life. Not today. Is it just going to be another day where I just go on doing what I have been doing? I'm not going to, not today. Today is not going to be the day where I just keep on being okay with not following after Jesus the way that I want to. Not today. Today is not going to be the day where I decide that I'm just going to keep on uh, living out this sin that exists in my life. Not today. Today is not going to be the day that I just keep being the same old person that I'm not happy with. But today, I'm going to do something about it. And the best thing, the most amazing thing, the most encouraging thing is this, is that when you want to do the changes, when you want to say, I see this, and I want for there to be a new perspective, you don't have to do it alone. Because when we call out to God, when we say, God, I see this change that needs made in my heart, in the way that I see things, and in my life, God, I need your help. And Scripture promises us that he is near to those who call upon him. And so this morning, as, as we come together to respond as a church, we do that in a couple ways. We have communion placed uh, up here up front. We take communion together to represent and to remember the body of Christ that was broken on our behalf and the blood that was shed on the cross that covers our sins. And through the cross, we receive forgiveness. We get to inherit eternal life because of Jesus. We give our tithes and offerings as a way of responding to God's goodness in our life by giving of the giving boxes. And we have the pillows up here for if you just need to spend some time in prayer as a, as a response, you can do that. And then we're going to sing some songs together in worship. But whatever it is you need to do in response, maybe this morning you would say, God, I need your help to do this thing. Today's going to be the last day that I do this. Today's not the day I keep doing it. I'm moving on. I'm doing something different. And I need your help, Jesus, to do that. And he's faithful to hear and to answer when we call upon his name. So these next few moments are yours to respond, spend time in prayer, to worship through song, whatever it is that you need to do. Let's pray together. We come simply to do that as your people. God, we come to say thank you that that you love us, that we have these reminders built into not only our lives, but into our faith, that your goodness is abounding, that your faithfulness is unending. mercy and your grace are new every morning. So I'm praying for the people that are in this room, for those that are watching online, whatever it is, whatever thing that is they might not want to stop doing, but whatever it is they know they need to stop doing or to, or to change or to see in a different way, God, that you would provide them strength, you would give them encouragement, and you would surround them with a great cloud of witnesses. 
know that you are faithful to see all the things through. Those that you who started a good work in us will see it through to completion. We thank you for truth found in scripture. We thank you for the people that have gone before us. And we pray that we might be faithful witnesses as we go before others. We give you these next few moments to worship you because you are the only one who